Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, that's our heart's cry tonight. We want less of ourselves and more of you. Lord, let us decrease so that you may increase. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this midweek service. Lord, our hearts are open. Let us see you tonight in your word as we study it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the ministry of your word. Touch our hearts tonight. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen, amen, amen. You may have a seat. It's great to see you guys tonight. Um, I, I have been um, thinking about this study now for actually a couple years now. This is one of my favorite books, uh, Chuck Smith's book called Living Waters. And it's a, complete, it's a whole entire book committed completely, uh, written completely to the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Um, I haven't read it all. I've read, I've read most of it, but I've been rereading it again, and I'm, I'm excited to teach it. Chuck Smith does a wonderful job in this book of just laying out the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend at least eight weeks. I, I suspect at least eight weeks. It could be eight weeks. It could be a little bit longer. Lord willing, we'll see. Um, but we need to understand the, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're a born-again Christian, if you have put your trust in Christ and committed and surrendered your life to him, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. God is on the inside of you by his Holy Spirit. And sometimes we forget about the Holy Spirit. You know, we like to talk a lot about Jesus, and I'll be the first one in line to agree with that. We do like to talk a lot about Jesus. And we like to, we like to give praise to our Heavenly Father for the awesome gift of sending his Son. But the Holy Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit gets left out. And we're going to see uh, tonight, we're going to be looking at um, the personality of the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to look at some uh, verses on the doctrine of his deity and the Trinity. Is the Trinity in the Bible? Uh, Pastor David, can you show me the Trinity in the Bible? I think I can. I don't think I can. I know I can. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to study the Holy Spirit, his personality, and the mystery of the three in one. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for this uh, subject that we're diving into, uh, this adventure through uh, Chuck Smith's book, Living Waters, and through the word of God. And through these studies, Lord, you're going to uh, teach us, Lord, more about the Holy Spirit who's dwelling on the inside of us. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So what's the greatest work of the Holy Spirit? Being born again. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. At salvation, we talk a lot about repentance, and repentance is required. There is a turning away from sin. Uh, this required at salvation. There is a placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also a receiving. There's a receiving where the Holy Spirit comes down and fills your heart. And the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. To, to be born again. I think that's probably one of the, if not the most important ministry of the Holy Spirit there is in the world, is, is reconciling people to God. That's an amazing thing. Why do we study the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus called him the parakletos. It means he's the helper, the comforter, the counselor. He guides us, he strengthens us. Uh, he gives us wisdom, power, 
And he causes us to grow into being more like him. So the verse I want to start tonight, you know, at Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse. So a lot of times you can open your Bible and we're going to go verse 14, verse 15, 16, 17. Well, because we're looking at the subject of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be going all over the Bible. Because this is what we call systematic theology. Where you grab everything the, everything the Bible says about a subject and you bring it all together. So you're welcome to find the scriptures in your Bible, but they'll also be up on the screen. And I highly, highly, highly encourage you to uh, uh, bring a notepad, bring a notebook, because I'm going to throw a lot of Bible verses at you tonight. But I want you to see it for yourself. So you can write these verses down. You can go home and check them out and read more of them later as I, as I go through them. But the first Bible verse we want to look at tonight is John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. This is, to me, this is the heart this is the, the meat of the Holy Spirit. And I think everything that can be said about the Holy Spirit revolves around this one passage of Scripture. John, Jesus said these words in John chapter 14 in his upper room discourse with his disciples the evening before he was to be crucified. He tells his disciples in the upper room, he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, to grasp the full meaning of what's taking place as Jesus is saying these words, you need to understand the backdrop of that evening and, and what had happened before this verse. Up until this point, the disciples had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. When Jesus, uh, he spoke with the disciples, they heard the very voice of God. They witnessed his miracles. They saw the physical healings. They saw the 5,000 being fed. Uh, they, they saw him walk on water. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. But now, here in John chapter 14, the disciples are scared. Something's in the air. Something's up. Because Jesus is talking about leaving them. And this is really wigging them out. This is really scaring them. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because he knows that they are scared. He knows that they know something's in the air. Something's fixing to happen. And he says there in, in uh, verse 16 of John 14. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you, here, here's the key word, another helper. Another helper. The Greek word for um, Another there in verse 14 is allos. It means of the same kind or equal quality. Another of the same order. So what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14, hey guys, I'm fixing to leave this world, but somebody that is equal with me is fixing to take my place. So how cool was that during Jesus' earthly ministry Oh, excuse me, during the disciples when they were here on earth with Jesus. How cool was that to have Jesus there with you? I bet it was amazing. It was awesome. But Jesus is saying here in John chapter 14 that this another one, just like me, helper is coming. And so basically what he's saying, for those who have the Holy Spirit, it's just like as if you were the disciples there with Jesus on the earth. The Holy Spirit is God with us. Jesus is saying here that the Holy Spirit 
possesses the same qualities as Jesus himself. He calls himself, he calls, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another helper. Um, the helper means parakletos, uh, helper, comforter, counselor, the one who guides us, who strengthens us, who gives us wisdom, power, and causes us to grow. And notice what else he says there in verse 16. He says, he will be with you forever. He will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit, when a person becomes born again, the Holy Spirit comes into their life and he is with them forever. From now until the day you step into eternity and even beyond eternity. He says there in verse 17, uh, he's the spirit of truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We know the Bible is the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. And, and, and the Holy Spirit here, verse 17, is called what? The spirit of truth. What is truth? Truth is the opposite of a lie. Truth is that which is reality, that which is real. And we need to understand that, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside of us. That, yeah, you have a fleshly body, you have a physical body, but inside of you there is a soul, a spiritual being, and in that spiritual man or woman that you are, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you by his spirit. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about his, let's talk about his personality. Two things I want to talk about tonight. Personality and trinity. Also, when I say trinity, I mean deity. But when I say personality, what, is that, what does that bring to your mind? That means personable traits. That means things that a person does, okay? Things that, that, that make the Holy Spirit the person of the Holy Spirit. He interacts like we do because we are created in his image, okay? He's given us those um, attributes, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or power or essence in the universe. He is God himself, the second person of the Trinity. He acts, he thinks, he speaks, he teaches, he can be grieved, and he can be lied to. So y'all ready to go on this journey of his personality? You know, I, do you ever hear that in Bible studies? Let's talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't heard that a lot. But I'm, I'm going to show you now here for the next 15, 20, 30 minutes the personality of the Holy Spirit, how he interacts. The personal pronoun he is used 16 times in the New Testament. I'm going to show you an example. In John 16, 13. John 16, 13. I got it up on the screen for you. Uh, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truths. He will not speak of his own initiative. For whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. So there's a personal pronoun that the word of God gives to the Holy Spirit because he's a person. He's not an inanimate object, okay? He, he is a person. The Holy Spirit possesses, possesses intelligence, okay? The Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, the one dwelling inside of our hearts. He possess, possesses intelligence. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 13. The scripture says, and I got it circled for you up on the screen, the key words of the Holy, what the Holy Spirit does in his intelligence. It says, 
For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So what does this passage of Scripture tell us about the intelligence of the Holy Spirit? Number one, there, I have it circled for you, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. The Holy Spirit reveals truth and, and the, the wisdom of God. It's like a, he's like a skilled school teacher that knows it all, and he's intelligent, and he teaches us. The Holy Spirit, um, also there in verse 10, he searches, he searches the depths of God. It says, he knows the thoughts of God. And then down, down there at the very bottom in verse 13, it says, but in those taught by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And what we need to do when we get into the word is we need to pray. And we need to ask the Lord, Lord, as I study your word, as I read the pages of scripture, teach me what this is saying. And the Holy Spirit can do that. As we meditate on the passage, as we pray and, and we, we, we dive into the word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, he teaches us spiritual truths. Again, this coming spring, It'll be, it'll be 30 years, I'll be 30 years old as a Christian and I'm still learning to this day the things of the Lord. And he's ready to teach you also as you spend time as word and you commit to growing in Christ. He can be your teacher. He can be your teacher. You know, solid hermeneutical principles alone are not enough to understand God and his word. Even though they're very important that we have solid rules and uh, for biblical interpretation and hermeneutics, those are important. But ultimately, you need the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. We need his intelligence, his wisdom. How about this one? The Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit has a will. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. How about that? The Holy Spirit has a will. He has a will and is to distribute, but each one, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. He has a plan and a purpose for the gift that he wants us to use. You know, and, and are, are we following his will? You know, just, just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's the will of God, okay? We, we need to pray and we need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is this your will for my life? What do you want me to do? How, how do I follow your will, okay? And I believe, I believe that as we listen to the voice of the Spirit, as we follow his word, and we walk in line in humble submission to him, he will lead and guide us into his perfect will. I also want to show to you Acts chapter 16, where Paul's on a second missionary journey. And listen to what the scripture says in Acts 16, 6 through 7. Now then, they had gone through 
Sapphira and to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So here Paul is on his second missionary journey. He wanted to preach the gospel in Asia, but the Holy Spirit had a different plan and a different will. What did the Holy Spirit want him to do in, in um, Acts chapter 16? He wanted him to go to Macedonia. What happened the very next night? In the night, what happened with Paul? He had a vision. He had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come. The Holy Spirit's plan and purpose and will for Paul's life at this point was to take the gospel not only from Asia Minor, but over into Europe. And this is where the beginning of he took the gospel into Europe. Um, so this is what we talk about when we say being led by the Spirit. You know, in our Christian walk, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And just because something's a good idea, just because something sounds good and sounds fun and sounds exciting, it may not necessarily be God's will. It may, it may not necessarily be the Holy Spirit's will. You know, that's why we have to pray. We have to pray. We have to seek the Lord. We have to say, Lord, I need you to confirm this in my heart by your Holy Spirit if this is what you want me to do. You know, I don't want to just go around filling gaps, but Lord, I want to follow your will for my life. So, so important. How about this one? The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, okay? An inanimate object, a wall can't be grieved. This podium cannot be grieved, but a person can be grieved. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? It's when we live in rebellion. It's when we know the truth, but we don't do the truth. When we know it's right, but we choose what is wrong. When we choose to rebel against God, when we choose to walk in our flesh, when we choose to do things in a carnal-minded way, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It literally, it vexes him. Um, the Greek word for grieve is lupio. It means to be sorrowful, to cause grief, to offend, to be in heaviness, to be sad or distressed. You know, that's kind of weird, not weird, but difficult to think about, but the Holy Spirit can be sad, can be saddened, can be sorrowful at the choices that we make when we walk in the flesh. Because what does the Holy Spirit want? He wants our complete devotion to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. That's what pleases the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you, is when you're surrendering your life to Christ and you say, Lord, what your word says, I believe. And all the principles in it are true. And I don't conform my life to the world's standards, but I conform my life to the word of God. And let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit inside of you leaps for joy. He leaps for joy when you have that heart. Uh, so he can be grieved. Isaiah 63.10 in the Old Testament, talking about the Israelites, it says, but they rebelled and they vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he, was, he turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. So there's this grieving in the New Testament 
This is nothing new. There was grieving in the Old Testament. When the Israelites did what God said for them to do, it pleased the Spirit of the Lord. But when they rebelled and they fell into idolatry and they went their own way, it says they vexed. Uh, some translations use the word vex. Some of your translations use the word grieve. It's the same word. It's the same word. But we can't grieve the Spirit. We, and, and again, we, um, we need to hunger and thirst for holiness and for righteousness and for purity in our life. If not, we vex the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. And it keeps us from taking that next step in our walk with the Lord. Let's look at Romans 15.30. See if you see, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read the verse and you see if you see the, the personality of the Holy Spirit in this verse. Romans 15.30, scripture says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. What does that verse tell us about the Holy Spirit? It tells us the Holy Spirit loves us. The Spirit of the Lord, the third member of the Trinity, the one dwelling on the inside of you, he loves you. How many people heard sermons on the love of God? I have. I've heard a lot of sermons on the love of God. I've heard a lot of sermons on the love of Jesus. But have you ever heard a sermon on the love of the Holy Spirit? No, I, I, to be honest with you, I haven't. But it's true that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loves us. The Holy Spirit, I believe, dwelling on the inside of us, gives us that revelation of the love of God. He, he, he makes it real in our life. He melts our hearts and he shows us and he teaches us what love is. You know, that's definitely one of the areas I grew in after I became a Christian. I, I was, at times, a carefree spirit. Sometimes I was mean-spirited. Sometimes I didn't care. But after I became a Christian, all my prejudices against people, for whatever reasons there were, um, they all melted. They all melted. And, and the Spirit of God, through the love of the Holy Spirit, gave me a love for all people in 1992. So the Holy Spirit loves. Again, an, an inanimate object cannot love. A chair cannot love. A stage cannot love. A building cannot love. But a person can love. And the Holy Spirit loves us. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. For there we go to Acts chapter 5. Where the scripture says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land. What did they do in Acts chapter 5? They sold a piece of land. They took the money. And then they pretended like they put on a show that they had given all the money to the Lord. When in reality, they kept part of it for themselves. And it says that they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. Again, there in Acts, we see the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit was heavy in their presence. And so they made this commitment to the Lord. They, they said this in the presence of the church, that they were giving this to the Lord. And what happened to them? Judgment came. Judgment came. So he can be, he can be lied to. And we don't want to lie to the Holy Spirit. He sees our heart. He knows our hearts. We need to have 
truth, you know, on the inward parts and, and, and be honest and tell the truth. What is it? The, um, the ninth commandment says you shall not lie. You know, it pleases the Lord when we tell the truth to him and to all people. Um, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. Stephen, speaking to the Jews in Acts chapter 7, says this. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always what? Resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and so do you. So in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit pulls us, guides us, leads us to go in a certain direction. And when we resist that, we, we resist that and we fight against that when he shows us what is clearly true and what is clearly right for us to do and we go against it, we are resisting the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys know the Holy Spirit, he knows what he's doing, okay? And he knows how to lead us. He knows how to guide us. He knows uh, where we should go and what we should do and what ministry we should be involved in. So it's very important that we don't resist where he's leading. You know, a lot of times in the Christian life, we talk about being spirit-led. It's literally him tugging on your heart, giving you an overwhelming, like it could be a ministry that you're praying about that you want to be a part of. And I've found in my life, what the Holy Spirit does is he gives me an overwhelming, consuming passion to go for that ministry, to, 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 to do it. And, I, and I, what I, the last thing I want to do is resist it because when you start resisting the Holy Spirit over a period of time, what happens? Your heart gets hard. Your heart gets hard. And your heart grows cold. And we always, always, always want to have a soft heart towards the Lord and towards the Holy Spirit. How about this one? Actually, I got a text on this uh, verse yesterday and I hope she's watching this on Facebook Live. But uh, in Mark chapter three, verse 28 through 29, Jesus said, truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. And the first question people ask me is, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And to that, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when a person that's not saved con continually, deliberately rejects the witness of the Holy Spirit to come to Christ and to be saved. The Holy Spirit knocks on their heart and they say no. The Holy Spirit tries to draw them to Christ. They say no. And they, 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 they say no so many times that what happens is they harden their heart and they no longer hear that knock on their heart. They no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, come to Christ, come to Jesus, be reconciled. And that's a dangerous place to be for the unbeliever when they no longer hear that voice that says, come to me, come to Christ. It's a dangerous place to be. The next question I get, people ask me is, how do I know if I've committed the, un the unpardonable sin? How do I know that I haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And my answer to that question is simply, if there is a desire 
in your heart to return to Christ, if there is a sincere desire inside of you to come to Christ, that in and of itself is evidence that you have not committed the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit's job, the number one job of the Holy Spirit is, is to, um, for people to be born again. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, which we'll be talking about next week or the next. But that's his job. And when a person continually hardens their heart and doesn't listen to that voice, there comes a point where, you know, you make your bed and you lie in it. And for those people, we, we pray for them. We pray for them. But again, the evidence that you haven't committed it is, is that there's a desire in your heart to, to trust in Christ. There's a desire in your heart to repent. If that's there, then uh, repent. Put your trust in Christ. The, uh, so the Holy Spirit loves. He can be lied to. He can be grieved. He has a will. He can be resisted. He can be blasphemed. He also can prophetically speak. He can also prophetically speak. Uh, speak. In Acts chapter 13, uh, the scripture says, while they were ministering to, the, ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, there it is, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. You know, when we're seeking opportunities for ministry, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to speak to our hearts. He, he could speak to our hearts spiritually and let us know, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is the ministry I want you to be involved in. This is where I want you to go in life. Or he could speak prophetically uh, to someone who has that gift, someone that you trust and that you know, not some TV preacher or some call center, but a, a brother or sister in Christ that you know and trust that's walking with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can prophetically speak through them. You know, I believe that we need to bring everything to the Lord in prayer. You know, our family decisions, our life decisions, our ministry decisions, everything. And I believe the Lord will answer if we come to him humbly and say, God, I need you to show me. I need you to speak to my heart or show me in your word. You know, a lot of times we know we'll pray about something and we're reading the word and the Holy Spirit will just grab a Bible verse and place it in our hearts and show us that that's the answer for the thing that we're praying about. But we need to trust and look for the Holy Spirit to speak uh, into our hearts, through the word, or through a trusted brother and sister who has a prophetic gift. The next one, Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26. Let's see what Romans 8.26 says about the personality of the Holy Spirit. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So what does that say about the Holy Spirit? He prays for us. He prays for us. He prays for us on the inside. It says there with uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself, Paul is like making a distinction from the Father and the Son. The, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know, I imagine the Holy Spirit being inside of us 
and we're living our life. And hopefully for the most part, we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But when we get off track, he's on the inside and he's praying for us. And he's saying, oh, oh, he's praying to the Father and the Son. Oh, help Marty. <laughs> help David. You know, help Sabrine. Help us all. I see them, I see them making mistakes. Or I see them going places they shouldn't go. And, and, and then the, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction and, and lead us and try to take us away from wherever the place we're going to that we shouldn't be going. But he prays for us. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that the Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit, he prays for us. John 14, 26. This one talks about the Holy Spirit being our teacher. He teaches us. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Oh, this is a powerful verse for Bible study, for, for when you're studying the scriptures. You know, as, we, as you read the pages of scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all of us inspired by God, as you read the pages of scripture, you need to be praying and saying, Holy Spirit, teach me what you're saying in this verse, in this passage, in this chapter. Teach me, Lord. Let me see it. Let it come alive. You know, a lot of times we can't just read the Bible as a history book, okay? We got to read it as the Word of God and pray that the Holy Spirit brings it off the pages of Scripture, off, out of this book, and places it into our hearts. And when we do that, the second half of the verse, he says there in, in verse 26, and, and what will he do? He'll bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. You know, after I study the Bible and I get the word of God in my heart and I go out and I find myself in a situation where I need an answer from God, a lot of times, you know what the Holy Spirit will do? He'll remind me of the word of God. He'll remind me of the scriptures. He, that's, his, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's mechanism for lead. That's one of the mechanisms, uh, the way that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, that as we memorize and keep his word in our heart, he takes that word and, and, and stores it and uses it in our life as we move forward to lead us and guide us and to bring to our remembrance the scriptures. You know, um, we love the Lord. And have you ever heard people use the phrase intimacy? You know, we want to have intimacy with the Lord. We want, to, we want our spiritual worship, our time of worship, uh, during praise and worship, uh, during at home while you're, while you're praying, you want it to be intimate. You want it to be real. And so God wants us to have what we call communion with him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and what? The communion of of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word communion, it means fellowship. So the, 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 the Holy Spirit wants to have fellowship, okay? So when me and, me and Bud go out for a cup of coffee, we like to say, hey dude, let's go out and have some fellowship. And what do we do? We go get a cup of coffee and we, we hang out and we spend time with each other and we have a cup of coffee, but we're spending time with, the, time with each other well, when you have communion with the Holy Spirit, that means that you're spending time with the Holy Spirit. We need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. 
You know, that needs to be our prayer in our prayer closet during worship. Or whatever, wherever you're at when you find that intimacy with the Lord. You know, maybe it's early in the morning reading your Bible. But pray, Lord, let this be intimate. Let, let, this, let this be intimate. Let us share. That word communion means fellowship. It means sharing. It means participation. And it means intimacy. You know, uh, our love for the Lord and walking with him is more than just head knowledge. It's more than just head knowledge. It's about intimately knowing Christ and asking that third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who's dwelling on the inside of us, to make it real, to do life with the Holy Spirit. You know, me, me and Irene have been married now for 25 years, and we have deep, intimate fellowship, uh, relationship, marriage, and we're in it for life. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to have the same intimate relationship with you guys in your walk. It's where you're walking close and you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and he's leading you and guiding you. The opposite of that is what? Walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh and walking away from the Lord. But let's walk in intimacy. Let's have communion with the Holy Spirit. So that's the, uh, that there are, are the, th those that there. These are the verses I present to you in presenting the personality of the Holy Spirit. And again, the key point is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you is the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And he's a person that you can have a relationship with. You know, sometimes in my, um, in my walk with the Lord, in my time of worship, in my time of devotion, you know, I'll focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll think about his cross and I'll think about him high and exalted and lifted up on his throne and I'll be directing praises to him and, and worshiping him and, and everything. But then there's also times where I'm like, spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Holy Spirit, let me sense your presence. Let me sense your power in my life. And that's communion. That's knowing the spirit of the Lord. So the second part, the second part of our Bible study tonight is the mystery of the three in one, talking about the Trinity, talking about the Trinity. What does the Bible say? What, 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 what does the scripture say about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit and his deity? The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is called the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit over 80 times over 80 times. So let's go through some Old Testament verses. We're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to work our way into the New Testament. But what we're looking at is the deity of the Holy Spirit, specifically looking at the, the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that doctrine important? You bet, your, you bet it is. It's very important. It's very important that we hold to the doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's who God is. He's one God in three persons. I got a diagram I'll show you at the very end that'll hopefully help you get your brain wrapped around the doctrine of the Trinity. But if for some reason you're not able to completely get your mind wrapped around the doctrine of the Trinity, welcome to the club. We're talking about God here, okay? And so there's a certain 
part of God, you know, he, the, it can be difficult to understand at times, but we least need to understand the foundations of what the scripture teaches so that we can hold to those truths in being a faithful Christian. But number one, he was there at creation. He was there at creation. The Holy Spirit was there at creation. Genesis chapter one, verses one and two says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Well, the first thing there in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God. In the Hebrew, this is the plural form of the name God, which is Elohim, okay? That's evidence number one. This is the plural, and the Hebrew word for God here, Elohim, is the plural form of the name God. But also in verse two, it says, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was there at creation. You know, the Father took part in creation, the Son took part in creation, and the scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord was there at creation. Genesis 1.26, another, another um, in the Old Testament, there's, there's pictures of the Trinity, but it's not fully unveiled and revealed till we see the incarnation of Christ in the New Testament. But there are lots of pictures. The next one, Genesis 1.26 says, uh, then God said, let us, there's the key word, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here in the same chapter of Genesis chapter one, we have... Um, this, this plural, plurality, where God says, let us. Who's he talking about in the us? Yeah, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In our, according to our likeness. You know, this is a, a reference to the plurality of the name of God. This is a reference to the Trinity, I believe. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, this is a blessing that Moses instructed Aaron to speak of Israel. Look at, listen to what he says. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Notice, this is one sentence. But how many times is, is, is the Lord mentioned? That's not by accident. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord you know, I believe it's it's a it's a early picture of the doctrine of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see a lot of these references to God in the Old Testament. They come in forms of three. Another one is Isaiah chapter six, verse three, where Isaiah has a vision of the holiness of God, and he says, "And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy.'" is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Why did he, he just say, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Because that makes perfect sense. Unless God is three persons in one God, and he would go, a holy for each member of the Trinity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's interesting, Isaiah has this vision in Isaiah chapter six, when he sees the throne of God, but also 
John says this exact same thing in Revelation chapter 4, where he has a vision of heaven and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So there's another reference to, to the three persons in the Godhead. Then we move into the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says, And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. No doubt, Matthew chapter 3 is where uh, everybody knows about the doctrine of the Trinity. That's, that's the one verse that most Christians, if you ask them, why do you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? They'll, they will say, well, look at Matthew chapter 3. Look at the baptism. What do you have there? You have Jesus, the Son, being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending. And then you have God the Father with the voice coming from heaven. A reference to the three persons of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of Matthew, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, this is another famous verse that people uh, look to when they're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity, which is uh, where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, and there's, a, there's a verse in Acts that talks about... Uh, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times people will ask me, you know, do y'all baptize in the name of Jesus or do y'all baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I say, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because when you do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're covering both. <laughs> so, but there's another, there's another um, reference to the Trinity. So Genesis chapter one, Numbers chapter six, Isaiah chapter six, Two, passage, two verses in Matthew. Another one's found in Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Uh, Paul says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there you have it in Ephesians 4. We have one spirit, that means the one, the Holy Spirit, the one that's uniting our hearts tonight, the one that's dwelling on the inside of us, the one that's working in and through the church, the one that is causing people to be born again. Then you have uh, one Lord, okay? Who's he talking about there? The Lord Jesus Christ, the exalted Son of God. The, uh, you know, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You know, that's the... Um, foundational statement of the New Testament that Jesus Christ is Lord and he calls him one Lord here. And then in verse six, um, Paul leaves no room for doubt when he says, not, not, he, he doesn't just say one God, he says what? One God and Father. So God the Father of, of all who is over all and through all and in all. So in Ephesians chapter four, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 13. What I want you to look here in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, as we look at the doctrine of the Trinity, I want you to look at the conjunctions. I, I circled the conjunctions. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The conjunctions are the words and. And uh, 
and is a conjunction that connects three separate objects, okay? If I said, Bud and Kate were coming over to my house, you wouldn't think that I was saying, just Bud's coming over to my house. I say, Bud and Kate. That means two people coming together. And when he uses uh, the conjunction in here, uh, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So here we have another reference to the doctrine of the Trinity. It's very important that we hold to that because it's taught throughout the scriptures. And then well, this is one of my favorite ones, um, Revelation chapter one. I actually preached on this this past Sunday in our journey through the book of Revelation where in Revelation one, John says, and again, I, I want you, I, I circled the conjunction so you could see the distinction, the separation. Uh, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Talking about the Father. He, he inserts the um, and in there. Next one is, and the seven spirits who are before his throne. That's a, the word seven spirits is a reference to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 2, but that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And then as you roll into verse 5, he uses that word and again to Jesus Christ. Okay? We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three of them are, 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 are equal. They, uh, they form what we call the Trinity. Now, a big question I get a lot of times is, Pastor David, how do you explain the Trinity? How do you explain the Trinity? And I found this little diagram that uh, to me is the most helpful in explaining the, the, uh, the Trinity. This is the best way to explain the Trinity that you can see in writing. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. However, the Father is God. The Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. This is the best way you can explain to someone the doctrine of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. Some people, uh, you ever heard of modalism? Modalism is they, 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 they do not believe in the Trinity, and we consider it a false teaching. And, and basically, they believe that, that God manifests himself in three different ways. In other words, he was the father here, then the father manifested into the son, and then the son manifested into the Holy Spirit. He just changed forms. They call that modalism or, or, or oneness, oneness theology. And we don't believe that. We, we believe in the doctrine of the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? because of all the Bible verses I just shared with you. That is the clearest, distinct picture of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now there's some parts of the Trinity, it's hard to get our brains wrapped around, but we do need to have a good solid understanding of what the scripture teaches. So next time someone asks you, you know, can you show me the Trinity in the Bible? Hopefully you've taken notes and you can take them to these Bible verses and show them 
This is why we believe in the Trinity. Now, let's talk about one more, one more thing. And that is this. The Bible uh, ascribes attributes of deity to the Holy Spirit that we see attributed to the Father and the Son. So I want to take a look at those verses too. Because we, we talked about the personality, and now we're talking about the deity. And basically we're saying the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? So let's look at what does the Bible say as to, concerning the attributes of deity in the, in, in the person of the Holy Spirit. The first one comes from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. It says, How much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So what does he say about there about the Holy Spirit? He's eternal. There's only one that's eternal. That's God. And he's saying the eternal spirit, the eternal Holy Spirit of God. The next attribute comes from Psalms 139, verses 7 and 8, where he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. What attribute of the Holy Spirit do we see in Psalms 139? Omnipresent. Omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit? Rhetorical question. There is nowhere you can go from the spirit. Where can I flee from your presence? There is no place you can flee from his presence. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my, make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Where can I go from your spirit? The Holy Spirit possesses that same attribute of God that we call being omnipresent. And we need to understand these things, family. You think, man, this is deep theology, but you need to understand these truths because this is what the scripture teaches about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what Chuck Smith does a masterful job of bringing out in the book called Living Waters. He devotes an entire chapter to this, and I'm just summarizing it for you tonight. The next passage, when we talk about um, attributes of deity, ascribed to the Holy Spirit, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, for, where it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. What does this teach us about the Holy Spirit? It says, through the Spirit, verse 10, he is omniscient. He, 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 is, he is omniscient. He has all knowledge. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of deity. It says, uh, the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And, and in the, the very end of verse 11, even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit possesses, knows, and, and, and has the mind of God. Our, our, you know, when, I, when I study these passages and I look at everything the Holy Spirit says, you know, 
We need to sing more songs about the Holy Spirit. We need to exalt him and praise him and give him the adoration that's due to his name. And because and, he is omnipotent, almighty, omnipresent, eternal God. The final one is uh, Luke 135. Luke 135 says, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit, there it is, the Holy Spirit, not Jesus, not the Father, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. What does this teach us about the Holy Spirit? He's omnipotent. He is almighty God. He is greater and bigger and more powerful than anything in our world. He is right there with the Father and the Son, omnipotent, almighty, eternal God. You know, we gotta, the Holy Spirit, you know, they, some people, you know, uh, treat him like he's a wind or he's an influence or he's the force, you know, like in Star Wars, may the force be with you. No, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He, he is, he is, he is a, a person, the person of God dwelling on the inside of our hearts, uniting the body of Christ. He's the one that's going around knocking on hearts saying, you need to trust in Christ. Put your trust in him. He's the one that goes around convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one that gives gifts to the body of Christ for ministry. Truly, truly in closing, the Holy Spirit, the, the summary of tonight's teaching on the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is God, and he possesses a personality. In other words, you can get to know him. You can have a relationship with him. He guides you, he directs you, and he will lead you when you surrender to him. I ask you guys tonight, and uh, maybe you know the answer. Maybe it's something you need to pray about and say, Holy Spirit. And that's very appropriate to pray that. Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to do. Where is he leading you tonight? Where is he leading you? In, in ministry? In life? In outreach? Who, Lord, who do you want me to witness to? Who do you want me to pray for? Holy Spirit, who do I need to go and make reconciliation with? Uh, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, show me. I want to close with a quote from Chuck Smith in his book, Living Waters. It's a beautiful quote, but this is, Chuck Smith says this. He says, talking about all these different ways the Holy Spirit works, his personality, his deity. Chuck Smith says this, when you walk with the Holy Spirit, developing your, relationship, developing your relationship with him, and you respond to his work in you, it is very likely that you will begin to have all kinds of glorious supernatural experiences. Sometimes there will be moments of weeping. At other times there will be tremendous joy. At other times there will be an overwhelming love. Many kinds of responses are possible as we walk in the Spirit and allow ourselves to be led 
by him. You know, as a, as a, as a pastor, you know, I, have, I, I learned really, I've been a pastor for eight years now, and one of the things I learned really quickly in ministry is we have to be led by the Spirit. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in the flesh, even in ministry, even in church. We can get caught up in our carnal minds. We can get caught up in our worldly way of thinking and the way we do church and just our attitudes towards other people. But what I've learned in ministry here at Calvary Chapel is we got to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, we got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We got to be led by the Holy Spirit. We got to be walking in his gifts that he gives us so we can affect people to the greatest degree in ministry so we can help people so that when um, you're ministering to someone, they don't, we don't want, I don't want them to see me. I want them to hear the Lord Jesus. I want them to hear the Holy Spirit that's in me. This, this, this giving them an invitation to receive Christ. You know, even in teaching, even, even in, in, in teaching scripture from the pulpit, you know, I, I realize we got to have the Holy Spirit. We got to have him moving in our church. We got to have him moving in our body. And I believe he is moving. I know a lot of you guys, I've heard so many wonderful testimonies of great and awesome things that the Holy Spirit is doing at Calvary Chapel Irma. And I praise the Lord for that. But you know what I want to do? I want to take it to the next level. I, I want us to be a praying church, a spirit-led church, an evangelizing church, and a church that when people come in, that they uh, experience the love of Christ and they experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because, man, people see through you, okay? You know, you get around somebody long enough, you can, you can see through them. I, I, I want people to see through us, but I want them to see the Holy Spirit moving in and through our church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for tonight's study. And Lord, as we're, we're journeying down this path of studying your word, and looking at what you say in your word about your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to take it to heart, Lord. Father, tonight we've looked at the foundation that you're dwelling on the inside, that you have personality, that you want to have a relationship with us, that you want to lead us and guide us. And Lord, we thank you for that. So Lord, develop that, uh, help that to grow in our lives, our love and our trust and our relationship with you. And Lord, at the same time, we exalt you as the eternal God and creator, Holy Spirit, and ask you to lead us, guide us, and direct us in all we say and do. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we magnify you, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside. Now, Lord, as we go out tonight, help us to go out with a greater sense of awareness of your work in our life. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Lord God. Amen.